Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to SOGCAST number five. My name is John Stryker Meyer. I'll be your host tonight. And joining me will be my mystery technician, Tom. Thank you for joining us. On the night of August the 23rd, 1968, in the morning, more than 100 sappers hit FOB4, a Green Beret top secret operational base in Da Nang, and it was just north of Marble Mountain. During that attack, it came after midnight. It was a moonless night, and the tap sappers, who were highly trained NBA soldiers, hit the base. And up on the mountain, there had been a recon team up there, Spike Team Rattler. And we'll take it from here from the book On the Ground. Up on the north face of Marble Mountain, ST Rattler was providing security for FOB4 by acting as an early warning element. But they too were caught unaware by the surprise attack. Assistant team leader Larry Trimble monitored the desperate, disjointed, and chaotic chatter that was coming over his radio. S.T. Rattler was suddenly attacked by a group of sappers who had made their way undetected to the entrance of the team's observation point attainable only by climbing ropes hung on the steep mountainside. Before Trimble could think about how they had done it, grenades began detonating all around the ST's small perimeter. Several team members were hit by shrapnel, but the veteran recon men immediately responded with a savage fuselage of CAR-15 fire and grenades of their own dropping them down on the approaching NVA, the North Vietnamese Army. 
and stopping the assault cold. The observation point overlooked the entire Da Nang compound to the north. By the light of the flares now dropping from the sky, Spike Team Rattler could see human beings scurrying about like cockroaches. The Americans and their Chinese team members watched in disbelief and frustration as the well-orchestrated attack developed. Wave after unrelenting wave of NBA sappers swept in through the east and the side of the compound that faced the South China Sea. As they flooded the compound, buildings exploded in their wake. Dead bodies were left lying dark, stains in the clean white sand. It was clear the enemy had achieved total surprise. S.T. Rattler was powerless to stop it, and Trimble couldn't see how anyone could survive. Well, joining me today is Larry Trimble. Larry, thank you for coming aboard and uh, making the trips to join us for Sawcast number five. How you doing? Real fine. <laughs> and thank you, John. It's you a pleasure bet. to be here today. Thank you. And, you know, it just seems, even though that night was 53 years ago, it's still burning fresh in your memory, is it not? It is. So if you don't mind, I'd like to read just a couple more paragraphs from the book about that night on your team, how that team provided a crucial element that even though that night we lost 16 Green Berets, the most ever in Green Beret Special Forces history, the body count would have been more severe had your team not been up there. And I wanted to cover the reasons why in the book. Sappers were unquestionably the elite troops of the NBA. Sappers received six months of concentrated and highly specialized instruction in assault tactics that involved the use of stealth and demolitions. Their focus was on barrier and defense penetration. They were fanatically dedicated troops, and now a large number of them were inside the wire. The enemy lost attack. Meanwhile, up on the mountain, the enemy launched an intense barrage of 82-millimeter mortar fire at FOB-4 from somewhere behind ST Rattler. As soon as the situation permitted, Trimble made his way towards the south side of the mountain with several of his Nung teammates. The Nung, who had an uncanny ability to ferret out an enemy's location, even in the darkness, pointed silently to the place where the mortar and its crew were hidden. On Trimble's command, he and one of the Nungs fired a volley of HE, high explosive M79 grenades, at the target, while the others poured CAR-15 rounds into the brush. In short order, both the attack on ST Rattler and the mortifier came to an abrupt and permanent halt. Silencing this well-positioned mortar saved a number of lives and relieved some pressure on those in the Da Nang compound who were fighting hand-to-hand in a frenzied effort to keep from being totally annihilated. So, Larry, you were there. And that night, um, even 53 years later, I remember how critical that team role was. And uh, so uh, beforehand, was there ordinarily 
placing recon teams up there as a security measure just in general, or what was the SOP on that beforehand? Beforehand, we uh, we had had teams up there, but uh, they eliminated them, figured we had enough security, I think, in the compound. Uh, we got alerted on, I think it was about the 21st on a Wednesday, uh, that uh, Team Rattler would move up to that location. And uh, we packed up everything. We did take a, a go up to a briefing myself and it went zero uh, at uh, Ed Ames. And they told us that uh, they had heard possibly that there'd be snipers in that location. And that would be probably the only thing we had to worry about. <laughs> but they wanted to be ahead of the game. Uh, we did move forward. Uh, we packed up most of the gear. We had a M16 machine gun. Uh, we also had a uh, couple of M79s. We carried as much ammo as we could and water. We did have a three-quarter ton truck, uh, the old beat-up one. But uh, right. we used that to help us carry the uh, most of the ammo and the stuff up too. Over the base of Marble Mountain. Right. But that, that three-quarter wasn't going up the mountain. <laughs> it you wasn't guys had going that. up. <laughs> so we had to uh, carry the uh, water and, and the ammo up. So... You can imagine it was rock steps going up uh, a long way. And, of course, we worried about possibly booby traps, also uh, snipers, because of being alerted of that. Going up, it was kind of like a saddle, Marble Mountain was. Uh, we went up uh, off of Route 1. Uh, the steps started up. And right before you got up there, off to the left, we noticed a big opening. It was a cave going back in. Uh we moved up to where it kind of leveled off. Right. And off to the left, uh, there was just a small clearing. And at that point is where there had been ropes and previously, you know, placed to get on up to the peak where we was going. I would say, if I remember right, around 30 meters. Uh, right. Didn't pay much attention to it then, you know. Yeah, sure. We decided to cache our water down there because of going up there. And, and the weight. And the weight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got that taken care of, and then we did go uh, get up there and set up ourselves, made our perimeter around that uh, location. I would say it was possibly maybe uh, 20 meters in a diameter, a sure. uh, flat surface on the top. A uh, lot of rocks. Uh, there wasn't uh, able, there couldn't have been a chopper come up there and actually land uh, right. because of the rocks and stuff. Because when the kink was come, they set down one wheel. But they couldn't land completely. <laughs> right. Or if it was a slick, we put one skid down, but there wasn't enough room for two skids or two wheels. Exactly. That's how small the, your little security area was. Right. It was. Oh, yeah. Uh, we started relaxed, but it was eerie. Yeah, you could just, uh, I remember just feeling an eerie feeling, uh, not knowing what that really meant at the time. Uh, so I took three of the nuns myself, and we did a, not that, I'm kind of ahead of myself. It was the next day we did that yeah, uh, recon. Yeah, August 22nd, you went back and did some recon before right. all the action started. Yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, we went down, we went into the Buddha caves. They had big Buddhas in there, and they had monks in there, but it was quiet. Even the monks were just sitting around, but they wouldn't make no noise. Yeah, so those I, were monks made, that we were yeah. told they were religious, they would be <laughs> neutral, but we suspected that they weren't, or at least they were more sympathetic towards the uh, NVA and the Viet Cong that were in the area. That's true. We uh, 
We did go through uh, both of the caves or just in, looked around, didn't see nothing, couldn't hear nothing. It was it was quiet. Uh, and then we're leveled off there in the middle of the uh, area where we climbed the ropes. Uh, there was an off, real small opening and we went in there and and even as small as I was, we had to crawl to crawl up in and get <laughs> to the top of where that ledge was. Uh, we did a, a I could say it couldn't have been, as far as I'm concerned, a better reconnaissance of the area. Sure. For any speck in the enemy or anything, and didn't see any, didn't hear nothing. And just because you know, by you doing that, you probably did more than a lot of other teams did. Because I know some teams would go up, they'd get dropped off by helicopter, or they would go straight up. But you right. guys were doing it, and this is out of just from your experience. Knowing this area, we had reports always about Viet Cong NV activity. But on the other hand, like your briefing, there's no mention of a major pending attack. You heard nothing about that, as did the majority of people in camp, with the exception of two people that we'll talk about a little later. I had heard that also later on, uh, John, and uh, there was none. We never suspected anything like right. that. We had security in the compound. They had Cape briefing it up, you know, down at CCN. But uh, it was just unbelievable. You uh, you know, you don't sure. think of things like that going to happen with the security we had and stuff. Uh, I wasn't even surprised. Once we got up out there and got settled in, then uh, we did, I did have the, uh, uh, the radio set, you know, the, with the accordance over to... Uh, the Marine outpost. Right, and they were on the other side. They were on the other side. They had a, a 106 recorders rifle up there. Um, we made contact with them. Of course, made contact. Sure. The first thing you did when we got up and got set up was make contact with uh, our compounds. And that uh, way you could avoid friendly fire. Right. and uh, Particularly with the Marines, because sometimes we had recon teams that had literally contact with the Marines. Right, that's true. And... Uh, we uh, we got set up, and uh, it was a quiet night even. We kept alert. Uh, one thing I did do, though, after that reconnaissance, I was, uh, I think Ames took kind of the first watch. Uh-huh. Uh, or in did, you know, they were supposed to stay awake, but did they, the nuns? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know if they did, but I felt secure enough that uh, with the smallest area we was in. Sure. We had them lined out. If anything was to happen, we could. They would wake up pretty fast. Sure. Um, I took over somewhere around midnight, and John, as I remember, it was around two o'clock, and I can't pinpoint the exact right. time. There was a because you weren't watching your clock, and it's just another night on the mountain, right? And it's quiet. And actually, aside from winds and chills up there, it's a beautiful view of the China Sea. Look, look north is. to Da Nang. You see Denang. the city lights, and you go. Yeah. If you get careless for a minute or two, you just ha- you can think about it as a beautiful scenic sight. <laughs> Forgetting right. you're in the damn war zone right. with Viet Cong and NVA underneath you, and then additionally not realizing that they were prepping for that massive sapper attack on FOB four. Right. Exactly. So at some point, the your world exploded. So take it for near for those first couple of moments of what you're watching it seeing it down at the camp and 
going WTF? <laughs> like you said, it's, uh, you know, it's so beautiful. It was actually beautiful. Oh, yeah. Because you could see all the lights, denying out in the ocean, small boats and stuff like that. Even at that late at night, you know, it's just, it was real beautiful. But when the first explosion, I switched around real fast. I, and uh, <clears throat> seen the explosion over there. First thing I did was switch frequencies. I had it set down on our compound at talk. Right. I switched the frequency over to the marine outpost over there. I had no answer. And I switched back to tell our people. I switched the frequency back. And just as I was calling talk down there, or right close to that time, it was when all hell broke loose down there in our compound. Uh, it was a shock, you know, at first. And then the Marines, that outpost got hit also about the same time you got hit, right? They did. It wasn't but a few seconds after. It was time well. Oh, yeah. Uh, they hit us. Uh, the point we was uh, made it real good. They, As you had said earlier, they did use hand grenades mostly because, you know, rifle hell, they just shoot straight up over us. Sure. Uh, so we had the advantage up there. But they wanted that point, and I think they wanted it badly. At the time, I did not believe that. or It never entered my mind how important that their well, location plus you're, you're, was. You're a little bit stunned at what's going on down the hill. Oh, God, yeah. Seeing the base get hit, and you've been down there two days earlier sleeping comfortably in the hooch at night, <laughs> right. going to the club, air-conditioned right. drinks. Yeah, that's true. Life at a uh, base camp, which is, a, you know, you don't worry. You're always told to be on, on uh, I guess, on guard to a certain right. point. yeah. But my gosh, to see that, and you're up there, and then before you know it, you're under attack. Right. They uh, they hit us pretty hard right there. They, I guess they figured kind of might be an easy easy target to get, take over that point because they could look right straight down into the compound. Right. And uh, at that advantage point, they could really put some heavy fire in there. Um, as they were hitting us, I saw they would, uh, that's when one of the nuns called me over. In, in fact, they, uh, he was our uh, grenadier, the one with the uh, M79. Right. We did have two of them up there, luckily. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Did you have your salt off with you? <laughs> no. No, I didn't. I, my getaway uh, gun, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another story I'll tell you about sometime. All uh, right. <laughs> uh, in fact, can I slip it in? Please, why we, that's why we're here. <laughs> We used to make that, you know, cut off the barrel of an M79 sure. and go up for the vehicle or the maintenance building and get a whole muffler clamp, what we called it. Right. And then saw off the back of the, where it was like a pistol. Right. Well, you know, on the M79, you got the canister rounds, you got an HE round, you got flush hats and stuff. CS. And CS. Uh, well, I got my made when I got there, you know, because most guys did just put a snap link, you know, onto the front, right. and it was a good getaway gun. Sure. Well, I went down to test it out, you know, at the beach there along the China Beach, and so I reached out there, and I, pow! <laughs> Had a can, not a canister round, because you could shoot it with, the, yeah. uh, you know, that didn't yeah. flush hats or the, uh, it wasn't <laughs> like an HE anyway, and I had blood just split down, you know. <laughs> Well, the only thing worse so, than that is like in my time, when we cut ours down, the first time we experimented, I fired and got hit with my own shrapnel from the M79 round. 
My first experience, my first self-inflicted wound. <laughs> I think we learned the hard way, didn't we? But yeah. we learned. <laughs> yeah. But at least, at least the M79 bounced off yeah. your head and you continued to march. Right. And uh, so so get back to that night. You're on right. the ground. The two grenadiers opened up and... Yeah. Uh, you could see the flash, you know, right away. The uh, nugget hollered for me to come over. He was saying, Tonk see, Tonk see, you know, I'm pointing down. Yeah. And I seen a flash. And I grabbed up the, uh, that, and I says, fire on it, fire it. I just started hollering, fire on him, fire sure. on him. And that's where the mortar pit was. Where the mortar, where we seen a flash. We just literally, sure. as many AT rounds as we could put down there, and also uh, M16 rounds, you know. I had the whole team just pull over there and start shooting. And by that time, do you know how many mortar rounds may have been fired? No. There was enough that you knew I, where they were. I... Because you're I, defending yourself, and then you hear the mortar going off. Okay, right. and we I, understand your mental priority. <laughs> survive first. Survive yeah. first. Yeah, but yeah, I, okay. I didn't know. We but, got that. <laughs> I did find out later, though, that they had received what they figured was a AT rounds uh, falling in there. Oh, yeah, uh, there's no question Pat about that. And, sure. And uh, he said they were silenced. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. All I was looking for, let's get that crap. Because you could hear, you could actually hear the 82 rounds Right. Going over, you know, so you knew it's just going into the camp. Um, so after you secure your perimeter, then you move out to that point? Or did you have a, no, anything else in between? In, it was in between because actually uh, we was hit one more time that night or that morning. Uh, two times they tried to take that position. The second time was not near as heavy. I think they... Decide they better get their act together before they do, because we was littering them with hand grenades, you know. Right, sure. So the next morning, of course, uh, hiding our water down at the base didn't work very well. <laughs> it was hot as hell even at nighttime. I mean, we were literally, everybody was out of water. Yeah. You know. And so I took uh, three of the nungs, and I had to think about how many did I have with me. It was three of the nungs myself. Decided to get all the water cans and time to us and had go down and fill them up with the five gallon can of water right. we had down down at the end of the rope and it went that area which i think i was saying around 20 30 yards you know right up. sure um the interpreter being i remember his name of the nuns oh yeah he went down first and then the other uh two guys went down was going down and i was the last one that started down the rope and I heard a bunch of Vietnamese, uh, you know, hollering and stuff going on. And I was hollered at uh, Ping, what's going on, what's going on? And he said, VC, VC, they want to surrender, they want to surrender. I said, why the hell ain't you shooting, God damn it? <laughs> so, <laughs> no so true I, boy here. I kind of just let go of the rope. Uh, okay. And it wasn't, you know, yeah, just yeah. a few feet. And... When we went down, actually, I left my low bearing equipment up there, and they did too. We had all of the uh, canteens strapped around us, and then also uh, have filled our pockets full of magazines, right. you know, M16 magazines, 20 rounders, what we had then. Um, started firing them. I think it shocked them. It, it was just a few of them. I don't know how many. I, I just figured it was a reconnaissance, a right. bunch of guys going through. But I says, let's get them, let's get them. So we went after them. Yeah. Not thinking, not thinking nothing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we got right around to where the saddle started to go down towards the amphibious marine outfit. Right. And uh, they were going down that. I hollered up to Ames. 
and holler for him, throw my load bearing equipment, drop it down, you know, it wasn't that far. And he dropped it down, and we started to go ahead. I hollered at him, so I says, get the M60, you know, and try to shoot in front of us. And so we took off, and we know we actually there was that trail, and we had reconnaissance the, the day, day before. before yeah, yeah. Kind of knew the area, and about where that mortar was parked. We run up, was chasing them guys, and we didn't actually see him. That's why we wanted that fire. Sure. But we got about at that location, and there's another damn 82 mortar sitting there, uh, still with the base plate, just camouflaged a little bit. Uh, there was a rucksack there, so they kind of had left that stuff, and I guess just went in. Well, I says, grab that tube. Just We got the tube. We got the rucksack. Right. And I said, let's get the hell out of here. Well, let's hightail it back. They're going to get the rack together pretty quick now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we run back, and I was hollering at Ames at the same time. It was, we could holler at each other by voice from where his location right. was. It was actually that close. The last know. point of your hike to get to the very top. Yes, sir. And uh, I hollered that we had captured a mortar. Also, we had a rucksack uh, and to throw another rope. Well, if we had ropes when we went up, besides the one we climbed on. Then we're stationary ropes, you know, where we climbed, yeah. and they were bigger. Um, he threw that down and started pulling He pulled the equipment back up there. And as we got around there, uh, I don't think we even took the time to fill the canteens, you know. We, but we did, we did with a rope tie. The, uh, I remember getting a can. I says, get that can of water. We need that bad, you know. Yeah. And they, they pulled it up. Well, on the way up, uh, Ames had called down to the compound. And uh, told him the situation that we had captured some equipment. And uh, I mean, that's a rare intel find to get a rucksack, an enemy rucksack. That's always it, it was. And you know, John, it, it actually it happened so damn fast. Sure. The reaction we did, but didn't realize what the hell we was doing. <laughs> I think, you know, it's just one of them fast fire fights. And, oh, yeah. And we've been in. And, and you survived before. this year. Adrenaline's still like flowing in the right. system there. Particularly now you got done chasing those uh, commies. Right. Now you're running back and you got them. Now, was that the mortar that was firing on the base that night? Or was there a separate mortar? I, you know, we could, you couldn't really tell that. And right. I don't know because actually, uh, I don't think we actually damaged the mortar when we were no, shooting yeah. M79. I think we just scattered the people. And, and they didn't come back, so it, it could have been just the same <laughs> one, you know. Uh, actually, uh, Ames had called down to talk and talks in a, a King Bee up, right. the H-34 helicopters. Yeah, South Vietnamese King Bee. Yeah. Yes, sir. Our beloved King Bees. Our beloved pilots in <laughs> King Bees, right. And uh, they sent a chopper up <clears throat> just as we were starting back up the rope, and just about up to the top whenever... Uh, they were throwing this stuff on us earlier yeah. said there's rocks they couldn't land they could just hover there right. you know and uh, Ames jumped on the chopper and, and uh, says hey where are you going he says they call they want me to come down the hill he says take over and I says okay I got it so and you gave him the rucksack right <clears throat> he he already had that okay, they had right. pulled up the rucksack and, that's that's critical yeah they threw all the equipment on there uh, and you know the King Bee, all he had to do, and you know how they used to go oh, in yeah. on targets, right down on the pad. Well, <clears throat> we could watch them from there, and they were unloading the stuff, but the pilots was getting out and pointing because they received a lot of fire. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, in a king bee. Um, you know, the we didn't get hit after that, uh, the rest of that day. That's uh, amazing. It is. I And I don't know whether it's regrouping or reset. I just didn't know what the situation might be. Sure. But uh, that night, uh, we did get hit again. Um, and some way, they had picked up a, a Willie Peter or a White Foster's grenade. Was it one of ours, do you think? I think so. Could've. I would think so. I, I didn't even know if they had them. Yeah, <laughs> but, right. But anyway, they tossed it up there, and a couple of the guys got burnt with it real bad. Wow. Uh, uh, about the only way they could do us, and a couple of the guys did get hit with shrapnel, you know, from down there. Not, not critical wounded. Right, you know? right. And uh, so then uh, that was over, and we just stayed alert the rest of the night. Uh, the uh, next morning, it was... Uh, our, quiet but uh, of course we recom with fire ourselves being on top of them still looking down at the compound with seeing guys walking around it it was devastating uh, unimaginable to us at the time John uh, uh, one of them days that you don't like to live to see and you don't realize it's that bad until after over and we start counting the heads you know oh yeah absolutely and, uh, then you realize how bad it really was. We uh, we started running out of equipment, not equipment, uh, ammo, uh, ammo, uh, hand grenades, food. <laughs> you know, we didn't <laughs> take much with us when we went. So anyway, um, Colonel Warren, which was our commander at the compound at the time, had got on the radio and was talking to me. Yeah, and. Uh, he said, what do you need up there? And I said, well, send us up Coke, because the Indians, they, they like Coca-Cola, you know. And oh, I course. says, Coke, beer, cigarettes, and as many hand grenades as you can send us, you know, because <laughs> that was a critical uh, damn piece of... Yeah. Uh, so, Lev, um, if you don't mind, we'll go back to the book yes, for a second sir. here. And, again, we're now the morning of the attack, but the attack came at, we'll say for our discussion, 2 a.m., on the morning of August the 23rd. So now sun's coming up. And ever so slowly, night crept towards day. From their perch on Marble Mountain, Larry Trimble and S.T. Rattler could verify the insanity as well as the extent of the carnage and destruction. There were simply too many bodies to count. The supply complex, the old talk, were leveled and glowing with fire while the new talk had been heavily damaged. A pall of dingy smoke floated over the compound. It looked like the recon area had suffered the most extensive damage, with virtually every building having been hit. The whole rolling mess resembled a harshly lit stage setting for a major battle scene. Outside the bunker, Barkley and other SF decided to stay inside the talk, and slowly the gunfire began to ebb, and the satchel charge explosions ceased in the northwestern segment of the base. Nonetheless, Barkley felt it was too quiet and asked his counterpart to look around the corner for NVA troops. No sooner had he moved to that corner when two sappers appeared 
out of nowhere and charged Barkley's counterpart. The SF soldiers' reflex alone killed them. The two dead NBA landed at Barkley's feet, and he got his boots on their faces just to make sure they weren't moving. Inscribed on the head bandanas of the dead NBA sappers were the words, We came here to die. And so they did. And then, uh, did you see when Lieutenant Colonel Barr came in with his relief element that came into base later that morning? No. I, there were so many people moving around, John. I, we didn't really right. see that. Uh, you know, as uh, even as uh, I think that there could have been a possibility if I back up just a tad there of uh, them guys maybe possibly getting to the top of that point. But I had called uh, for help down there right. when they hit us uh, right after that attack and asked to get uh, some help. They sent Spooky up. And I, I think Spooky at the time was C-130 with a Gatling gun. Right. Oh, Spooky was the, the old C-47. C-47 yeah. is what they were using then. But they had miniguns. Yeah. That's what counts. Uh, that's right. Absolutely. And then popped the magic rad dragon, but yep. they, they sent up the uh, Gatling gun and uh, I made contact with the pilot. He was calling me. Uh, they had given my call sign and he was calling me and uh, trying to find out where we was. And uh, once he made contact with me, I had, uh, you know, uh, told him I put a strobe light up. Well, right. But that strobe light, hell, there's too many other lights. He says, <laughs> I can't see nothing. No, there. is that right? Right. Oh, I forgot that part. I I had John, and we was getting hit pretty hard. But that's why I called for help. Uh, you get kind of you need you you ask for anything you can get to help me, man. I'm in trouble, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, he couldn't see his strobe light, so I had some. We had C4 with us cakes. I think they were two pound cakes of C4. Well, I took one of them, just broke off pieces, and put yeah. it on a big rock and lit it. And I says, can you see that? <laughs> he could. He says, I got you. And then you directed gunfire from that. Right, that's why. Whoa. Right. He told us, he says, if you can, pull together all you can. He says, because this here has got maybe a 30-meter radius, you know. And uh, I'll tell you what, and we were still being hit. And at the last minute, he, he said, well, tell me when. I pulled the people in, and that's when they got the, the burp. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there was uh, there was all kinds of rocks and everything flying up, you know, uh, on top of us. And uh, none of the people got hit, but I'll tell you what, it stopped the hell out of the NBA or Zappers or whatever the hell whatever it was coming, down right? Yeah, It did. It stopped them that so night. So that too. was at what stage of the night did that happen then? You, this is after you've been going Not, for a few hours or was it? Right. They hit us uh, the first time and that was right when we, uh, uh, they had hit the compound right shortly after that. Well, the second time they hit us, we repelled that. And the second time we hit, it's when I called down and asked for help. I think they had, you know, uh, they had somebody on the radio then, and, and they got a hold of Denang and got uh, that up there. I think uh, Puff the Magic Dragon was already up there dropping uh, flares. flares and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's when they come up. It was on that second attack on us. Yeah, because, again, this is getting back to the morning. Uh, meanwhile... 
S.T. Rattler was still stuck on Marble Mountain. There was no sleep in sight for them either. A few hours after sunset, the NVA struck with small arms fire and a rifle-propelled grenade. Several NVA again climbed the ropes in the effort to reach the team, but the Nung recon men killed them before anyone on Team Rattler was injured. Trimble got on the radio, called for air cover. Within a few minutes, Spooky arrived. After Trimble identified himself to the pilot and crew, the airman asked him to light his strobe light to pinpoint the team's location. Unfortunately, the crew members couldn't locate the strobe. As Trimble, ingenious and uh, desperate fellow that he was, cut off a hunk of C4, placed it on top of the highest rock he could find, and ignited it. And off of that, he could direct intense fire. The pilot acknowledged visual contact. Trimble pulled his team, all the team members, into a tight perimeter, hugging the rock. He then told Spooky to work his minigun fire in a 360-degree circle around the rock. As S.T. Rattler hunkered down, Spooky opened up and performed his magic dragon routine. The initial grounds were so close to the team that they were struck by stones and debris. Spooky continued to walk his fire in an ever-increasing radius around the team, exterminating anything that was unfortunate enough to be in its path. After Spooky expended all its ordnance, the air crew continued to circle above FOB4 with uh, flares. And so that's that moment in time for you guys. And another attack and then later you had a, a radio comma with Warren. By that time, he had received the satchel, your rucksack, the NVA rucksack. Did he say anything that was cryptic to you or caught your attention? Not a thing. <laughs> no, Nobody told us anything. I kind of got ahead there for a minute. I That's all right. That, no, that, that describes it quite well of what happened with Spooky. Oh, uh, that gives a sense of what that night is like. Yeah. And you're up there on a mountain and just the... Uh, uh, the, the significance of close air support, you know, right. that it's just, it's it's just life-saving. And then again, had they not been there, because they were able to also direct Spooky in the camp. That was another aspect right. later on. But yeah. first and foremost, with you being up there by yourself, just you and your recon team getting low on hand grenades and ammo, here's Spooky. <laughs> <laughs> you betcha. And we let Spooky march around right. that mountain. Yeah. Oh, my God, Larry. Yeah, we... Uh... You know, I, I asked him if uh, Ed was coming back up, and they said, we're, we're going to try to replace him with a, another man, you know, up there. And uh, uh, I'm not getting ahead of myself this time, no, no. I hope. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> That's yeah. critical mass, because yeah. you're low on food, you're low on ammo. Right, right. Yeah. And they said they would try to get somebody up there. They had lots of problems herself down there, which I had understood. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just can't imagine the pandemonium. Uh, and as that next day come, you know. Uh, well, it's all part of the morning of the 23rd still. Yes. Yeah, as yeah. it unfolded, yeah. As it unfolded, and it was later in the day, the, uh, all the nuns decided they were going to leave the hill and go back <laughs> to the compound. And uh, so I told Bing, I says, you know, I, I want to talk to each one of you guys and yeah. see if that's really true. Yeah. Each one of them said that they, they think that they wanted to go, you know. And I called Talk, 
<laughs> and this is kind of funny. I don't know who I talked to. <laughs> they said, well, take their guns and yeah. all their equipment and let them go. And I said, uh, you said what? <laughs> That's what I think I yeah, might, yeah. Have, might have said. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I talked to each one of the nuns and asked them, really, is that what they want to try to do? Because I didn't think they'd get off the hill. Yeah, yeah. And they decided that uh, that was their choice. The uh, zero one uh, had started talking to the people, and they decided that's what they wanted to do. I told them the only thing I'd like for them to do is leave me all the hand grenades that they could leave me, because that was my best defense sure. at that location. Uh, they took off. I told them I'd give them supporting fire as long as I could see. Uh, it you know, hilly, everything, you couldn't really see that well. Right. And again, you, Sergeant Larry Trimble, <laughs> are alone on the mountaintop at Marble Mountain. Your little people leave. You're the you're the sole man. Low on ammo. <laughs> right. A few extra hand grenades just for good luck. And that's just that moment, Ty. I just can't imagine feeling like the Lone Ranger without Tonto. Later on, I really <laughs> did. <laughs> Not at the time I didn't. I I uh, I just started resetting claymores. I, I did start getting as much stuff to where I could get to it. Sure. And uh, actually, there was actually two locations that they could have come up. The others was just I, I didn't think they could make it. Right. Uh, so you hit the the obvious areas first. Place your claymores. I did. Come back with your that cord. Have them in a handy right. location. <clears throat> Within. I think, and and you know, time. I can't give time, but because it's warped. Uh, it is point. today. It is. And oh yeah. Well, that too. I mean, that's that's old yeah. age. But I mean, even when you're under <laughs> right. fire, under attack for hours right. by sappers, and you're working spooky, bringing deadly fire within ten feet of your perimeter. My God. Well, I started here. I heard a fire fight going on, and uh, yeah, on Marble I, Mountain. Right. I could not see our people, but I had supposed they'd run into trouble. Well, your ears were keen enough then. You couldn't hear them now, but 53 years ago, you could tell the difference between AK fire and CAR-15 fire. Uh, probably. probably <laughs> I yeah. can't remember. I'll give John. you credit for that, Larry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I couldn't really help support them, and I would have. Uh, you know, of course. You uh, just couldn't see them. Couldn't see them. They, uh, it wasn't before long that uh, Bing, the interpreter, started hollering up, Tonksi, Tonksi. And I said, yeah. And Trunk C is Vietnamese for sergeant. Right. Yeah. And uh, he says, we want to come back. Can we come back? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> it, it just got quiet. I, I do remember it got quiet for a while. And my <laughs> thought was a hundred things going through my mind like, Man, if they if they was in a firefight, they got anybody captured. Hell, maybe they're going to try to set an maybe ambush for it. me. Because the other aspect of RT Rattler, where did those personnel come from? That's another side of Rattler that we've never talked about before. Weren't they trained when they came from where? Uh, the Nungs. The Nungs. They were strictly Nungs, though. They weren't. They the, were strictly they weren't Nungs. The NVA Nungs, the Chuhoi. No. No. Okay. They My, come out of Chulai Street in Saigon. We okay. Down there in Hardem. I paid him. I forgot how much money we used to pay him. How More many. than what the regular army or the army would have paid him. <laughs> right, yes. yeah. right. But uh, <laughs> it got quiet. Uh, you know, after a while, I I said, "Will you come up here and bring that zero one, uh, the leader of yeah, the your team. Vietnamese yeah. counterpart?" Right. 
they come up and we talked just they didn't come all the way up uh, I was yeah, still because you had to be careful. I was still worry of that we talked and they promised they said we come back we fight we stay with you till the end you know and so they I let them I said okay um, wow they come up and I did uh, I called back and told them you know down to talk told them at the, the they did come back, you know, so we got full support, you know, from mm-hmm. them now, I'm sure. And I says, what about that American? <laughs> yeah, and, and the resupply. And the resupply, too. Sure. And uh, the other American, and you know what, John, I do not remember his name. I've tried to battle my mind to remember. <laughs> I have, I cannot remember who he was. But they sent him up, and, of course, the choppers, like I say, had to hoover. Yeah, yeah. And... uh they was pushing off the uh, boxes, fam, on everything, you know, and the rations and stuff. It says Hoover, and it wasn't that far up, but the American jumped off, and he twisted his leg, uh, yeah. you know. Anyway, uh, really bad, bad. He couldn't hike. He could not hardly move, you know. <laughs> so actually, he was still a great asset to me because he was able to operate the radio, yeah. uh, keep contact with the. Uh, let you focus on the mission. Let him focus on the radio comms. Right. We did have one kind of a funny thing happen, maybe. <laughs> In the middle of all that. Uh, yeah, well, this, was, this yeah. was the next night, the last night. Up okay. There. I shouldn't say it was early in the uh, night. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the, the Constantine War and stuff, we had up a protection from the mountain, you know, and right. the compound. Down at the base. They had plenty of people down there, and I seen movement down there, you know, going into the water, you know. Right. And uh, so I called down, and they had radio contact all the way around. Each one of them had contact on my frequency up there, and I told them that they were getting ready to get hit on that there wall right there, and so Bannett is fired the hell out of it, you know, and everything. Oh, is that right? Yes. No kidding. Well, the next morning... Uh, they sent a team out, and I was looking down, you know, with binoc- had binoculars. Yeah, sure. Looking down, and I said, uh, they were saying, well, tell us where they're at. Did we get it or something? You know? And I said, yeah, they're, they're laying there down there. And so I started directing them and said, hell, that's a bush. You know, they walked over. The only thing I can figure, well, guess what? You know, all this time and everything going on, he didn't sleep much, and I was taking the Green Hornets. yeah. Uh, then uh, the inter all of the people was uh, uh, taking bennies uh, yeah. uh, to stay awake with. We carried them. Uh, you know, the only thing we didn't let them carry, of course, was the serrets. Right. And each American carried, I think, five serrets is what I yeah, wanted per each packing. They had the, the cardboard packing. You had five serrets. Yeah. On. Yeah. And uh, but I wouldn't let morphine serrets. Right. Morphine. Didn't want the indigenous to carry that stuff because they'd take it downtown when they got home, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> big time. So uh, anyway, I I think that I was seeing things, you know. But uh, and and <laughs> I I don't talk about that much because at first I guy said, "Hell, man, what's oh, wrong with you, tramboys?" But you know, yeah, but yeah. things do happen. Oh, they do. Um, and it better be safe than sorry. Because if it, you weren't sure, is this an optical illusion or yeah. not? Use you directed the proper course yeah. of action and they right. either via Kong or bushes were very dead. Very well could have been. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So how much longer are we up there? Because the attacks on the you went up the twenty first. The attacks the morning of the twenty third. You were there throughout the twenty fourth, fifth, and the twenty sixth morning. They were able to pull us out. Wow. We uh, oh, they did send a hatchet force team. Really? Uh, they sent that from the compound. I'm not quite sure what day, but they sent that uh, before the nuns took off and tried to relieve us up there. They, they got hit, right? They, they got hit. They turned around, went back to the compound. Uh, so that was in between some time, John. I can't remember. I that. know. But that's still indicative that there are still people in Marble Mountain underneath y'all. Because right. what we didn't realize at the time was how extensive the tunneling was. Right. We learned later that they had a hospital facility there, that's training facility, heard. a kitchen, yeah. and there were several levels that um, we just didn't realize. Our intel reports. Of course, let's get back to intel for a second, or a lack of it. Because on that night, as we've all learned later from one of your former teammates, Gene Pugh, who was on Common that night, and uh, not, I guess it would be earlier in the week, Gene was on, but he received a message saying, attack imminent. It was right. called a flash message, which is the top most urgent priority communication that came either from the agency or from another unit. And then Bill. Bill Barkley had another. Oh no, there's another sergeant had the same message, and then on the on the morning or the night of uh, night of August 22nd, Bill Barkley. So there's three messages that said attack imminent, and Barkley took it directly to Colonel Warren. Said, right. "Look at this message," and Colonel Warren said, "Major Moore has everything under control. We don't have to worry." Famous last words. Right. But, I did not hear any of this. That Nor was, did that I. That was we not heard. sent up to me. Uh, I probably wouldn't have changed our plan up there because we was alert anyway. You know? Yeah, you can't go too far in that little spot right. of land. But uh, we had <laughs> we had not been uh, alerted of right that it was an attack uh, period. You know, are going to happen, and it did. Uh, today, I feel very fortunate. At the time, I just did what I thought. We was marched on. <laughs> so right. when you finally get down the mountain, there was a little surprise. Did you? When did you learn about the rucksack and the content therein? That's when I learned about it. Uh, uh, as I got down, uh, we had three in ditch that they sent straight to the dispensary uh, for injuries. Uh, there was an American that uh, led me down to the hooch. My hooch had been uh, destroyed. Had, yeah, destroyed. Because Lily, the dog I had, right, uh, she got killed in um, that. The dog was KIA, yeah, so we should yeah. make it 17 and go back to 17. I forgot the dog. Yeah, yeah that, uh, uh, she's a good dog. I got her from somebody else. I'd have never named her Lily. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the name she went by. But damn damn good dog, you yeah. know. And she lived in the hooch, and she'd sleep under my bunk. So uh, oh, wow. she was in there when they threw a satchel charge in there. Another casualty of war. Ah, I would say so. I, I thought so. Uh, you know, uh, she's a good a lot of, oh, yeah. as good as a lot of men, you know. <laughs> uh, good dog. But uh, anyway, uh, they took me, my hooch, and they did give me a shot to get so I could rest. Because my eyes was just almost like glued open. Sure. You know, and uh, uh, they called the medic, come down, give me a shot to rest. And I, I slept for I don't know how long. Or, you know, fell a damn well. 
Uh, later on, I actually, uh, when they called me up for a debriefing, you know, of everything that happened up there right after that, as whenever they uh, told me that they had got a word from the Marines that they would like to see the team on the hill. Whoa. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. So uh, they sent a three-quarter turnover, picked us up. It was at the Marine Amphibious Outfit. Yeah, sure. Sent a truck over. Because they were on the other side of yeah. Marble Mountain. Right. Picked me and the team up, the Nungs, and carried wow. us back over. Carried us to the officers' club. And the Marines do live good, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Particularly in the officers' club, at least. Right. Yeah. It was the officers' club. <laughs> uh, they was going to cook a, a barbecue for us, you know, and and uh, took us in, and they said that they'd like to have us all sign their welcome board, you know, that yeah, they yeah. had. Well, hell, them damn nuns thought they were celebrities after that, <laughs> <laughs> getting to sign their name to it. And, and a good meal. And a good meal, and, of course, what they wanted to drink was a Coca-Cola. Of course. And I got to drink all the, the good whiskey stuff. I could. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, John, that, that uh, was very... Uh, I'll always remember that as a Marine. Good brothers. Oh, yeah. You know. Absolutely. Always. And then, um, so uh, with all that, where did your career in the Army begin? Um, Decatur, Illinois. Uh, 1956? 1956. Whoa. Uh, I, uh, I was born 9, 19, 1939. I one month later that was October the second, I think, or right at that I went into the army. <laughs> I uh walked by a billboard up there. They used to have uh, right by the post office. That's what they had the recruiting command for the uh army. Yeah. And uh walking by there I seen that paratrooper jumping in out, you know. Yeah. And I said, That's what I wanna do. <laughs> and uh then you had to have your parents sign for you Because you're only seventeen. Right. And I asked my mother, I said, would you sign uh, for me? I want to join the paratroopers. And she said, no, <laughs> you ain't going. And I am paratroopers. And so I said, well, I want to go in the Army anyway. And I'm kind of saying what I remember. Yeah, That's how I remember back then. But anyway, yeah. she signed for me to go in the Army. Uh, well, I went to St. Louis, and then they took us on down to uh, Fort Jackson. Not Fort Jackson. That's where we ended up. Uh, in Missouri, Leonardwood. Leonardwood, yeah. Fort Leonardwood, where they had us and assigned everybody to a job. Um, I was assigned to go through basic at Fort Jackson, South Carolina. And the first airplane ride I'd ever took in my life. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they flew us down there. And then, of course, through basic, uh, they asked. Uh, we had already been assigned to where we would take our what they started calling second eight weeks. They didn't call it that then. Right. They just said your training of where you what you'd be doing. Which later became AIT. Right. And yeah. I I uh, had uh, they of course had a recruiter there for jump school. And oh of, yeah. Of course I wrote a letter to my mother and said, Well, I'm gonna go to airborne school. <laughs> Did you trick her enough there that she didn't realize that I, airborne was parachuting? I, I don't know, John. <laughs> I thought I did. <laughs> You being anyway, so clever. <laughs> yeah, they they did. My mother and father both uh, come to graduation, jump school graduation. Wow. After they, that, I and, went in. And jump school was then Fort Benning or Bragg? No, no, Fort Bragg. Wow. Um, but it's still to drive from Decatur. Right. I think uh, one of our guys there was Bloody Burns. 
Does that name recall? Not for me. No. He was one of the uh, the cadre that uh, run us, you know, for okay. uh, jump school. Sure. Man, that guy could run, 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 run. You know? <laughs> Ran your legs kill, off. Huh? Kill us all. Oh, yeah. But then I, uh, after jump school, I uh, went on a third packet to Germany uh, to the 11th Airborne Division. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stayed there until they were de- We went... Uh, you know, we had an episode in 1958. We just got back from Hornfield about the middle of the year. And uh, they we was alerted that we was going to be moving. And we didn't know where we was going. Uh, we went to First and Fellbrook, uh, set up. And in the middle of the night, they said, load the airplane, load your ammunition, your weapon stuff. Uh, I, we was on a C-119. And uh, we was one of the last ones to fly out, and they put extra ammo and ammunition on our craft. We landed in uh, Italy and uh, got a meal at the uh, mess hall, and then we went back flying again. We ended up in uh, Adana, Turkey, and uh, we had stopped uh, there. We was all out underneath the wings. and Sure. And the pilot come out, but we had a question to ask him. When we was flying, everybody had just taken off their... Uh, Shoot, you know, and just right. set them back. You know, well, we had them made west underneath them. And they tried yeah. to teach us that real fast. Said, don't unhook before you <laughs> inflate that damn thing. You know? <laughs> so, anyway, uh, it was actually late. Anyway, it was dark, and we was across the Mediterranean when we was flying uh, before we got in the uh, U And uh, the doors open, uh, red light was on. Yeah. Uh, so you know you're all standing in the door and they you start, got your parachutes on and you're ready to jump well they said hook up and if you can get a hold of any boxes in the middle which was ammo, extra ammo and rations they started tossing them out the door uh, then after a bit you know it, everything calmed down they settled uh, the pilot was losing altitude and so when he come out you know we was all underneath the wing and we was talking to him about it we said, well, damn, man, why why didn't it? It was dark. We was jumping. If we'd have jumped, we was in water. And it says she was going to drop us. And I remember him saying, you know, we wouldn't have crashed with you guys in it because that C-119 would sink like a dollar, you know. Blink. Oh, yeah. And uh, so anyway, another close call. Whoa. Uh, so what was your destination? Did you ever find out? Uh, yeah, we went to Beirut, Lebanon. No kidding. Yes, Uh we did not jump in. Right. Uh, we air landed. Uh, we set up, and uh, I was in the, it was the 187th, and I was in A Company, I'm pretty sure, and we sure. got we got set in up at uh, Jamor. That's up at one of the mountains right on the border, and they set us up. There was a college up there, our university or something, a Beirut. Right. Uh, we got set up there. Um Anyway, we spent uh, three months there, and the reason I know it was three months <laughs> was because every uh, the old man had always, you know, he carried uh, they carried a safe with them, you know, the company commanders, right? And uh, uh, we had to donate, you know, on payday so much money <laughs> because that's when the new uniforms, the green uniforms, was coming out, the yeah. class A's. Well, we would have to buy a new equipment, you know. No. And when we got back, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, the uniform. <clears throat> uh, we found out as we got back anyway that um, 
if you're in a what what they considered that was a combat zone, even though we was not in combat, you know. Right. So we got a complete new issue at no charge. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I didn't mean to get off on that, but well, that's uh, right. that so was for kind Nair, of my career. You go forward, and then how do you wind up getting learning about SF, and what drew you to the SF Special uh, Forces? I uh, I went back to the one hundred first Airborne Division. I uh, went to Vietnam with them the first trip. We went over by boat. Uh, General, what year was this? Sixty five. Uh, it is sixty four, sixty five. Right. Uh, we. Uh, we crossed the international dateline twice. Uh, no kidding. We had uh, the whole brigade uh, wow. on the boat with attachments, which I think was right at around 3,600 people. Uh, we was elbow to elbow on there. Uh, and uh, we crossed the international dateline, I think, took 21 days to get over to Vietnam. Oh, man. Is that we right? landed in Cameron Bay. Right. Uh, we debarked. We started walking. And we would challenge anybody then because we're so happy to get off that boat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, after I come back, I said, no more conventional units for me. Yeah. And uh, they were recruiting for the SF. They were recruiting for the SF at that time. And uh, that's uh, right after that's when I went through and went through uh, school. Training group? Training group, yeah. Wow. Back to Bragg, go through training group? Yes. And so then when you complete the training, what's your MOS? 11 Bravo... SG for German. <laughs> <laughs> I could say, uh, you Wister, uh Deutsch, Deutsch, huh? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> or something yeah. like that, you know. But that was my MOS. Wow. So, uh, which first, what was your first group assignment then? What year was that? 67 then? 68? Uh, 68. Yeah. Uh, was SOG. Uh, after we graduated, uh, I got with orders to uh, Vietnam, and of course, uh, we was going through the assignments at Nha Trang, and uh, they had signed me to down at Charlie Company, out down around Charlie Company, and right, as I was, one? I was, I'm not sure, yeah, but I know as I was walking away, I said, oh, damn, and those guys had heard about SOG by then. Oh, I, is that right? Yeah, and I said, man, I'd like to have gotten SOG. And that personnel guy said, what did you say? <laughs> and that's how I got to sign the SOG. No kidding. So then you come to the FOB4? Yes. You get there what, in, the, in the spring then or in the summer? Before? Late, late spring. Late spring, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow, so you and I came in country at the same time. I landed pretty at the close. end of April. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, we went up to FOB1, you went to 4. Yeah. We may have even been in the same briefing, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Yeah, welcome to the, the welcome to the secret war from there, and so yes, then, um, um, then how many years after your completion of the tour, you de roast, you go home, uh, sixty nine, and then what what's the next step in your career? Because how many years were you in all together? I, I spent twenty one years. I, I uh, retired in uh, seventy eight, March of seventy eight, uh, with fifth group at Fort Bragg. Oh, is that right? Yes. Wow, before they transferred up to uh, Fort Campbell back in the right. day. Right, it was before. Uh, and you su you survived all that rift, the reduction in force period of time that came through yeah. in the 70s. That's yeah. saying something, because a lot of people, after the buildup, by mm -hmm. 1970, they went into the reduction of force, because in, I guess it would be the summer of 69, 
that the peak manpower was 546,000 Americans in Vietnam. Of course, one out of 10 actually was in combat. The rest were support elements. Yes, sir. Of one kind or another. Right. And then, um, but from that buildup, they had to reduce the reduction of force, which means get rid of people as many as they can to get out, either force them out, men getting losing rank, grade, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Did you get hit up with that any, or were you able to retain your rank? No, I was fine. So when you retired in 78, your rank was? E7. Is that right? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's that's saying something that time. Yeah. And then from there, 78, then what? That's probably why they didn't catch up with me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 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 I uh, <clears throat> I retired, like I said, in 78, and I worked for the, uh, the government another uh, 21 years. Doing I got, what? Uh, I was a construction uh, safety inspector for uh, Arizona first. I was on the, you know, the uh, canal that they put through uh, right. the uh, Arizona there anyway. And Granite Reef, I think they might have called it. I can't remember. Uh, then I went to California as their safety manager uh, for the, all of the construction in California, all the dams and stuff. Sure. And then I retired from that in 1999. Wow. And, uh, and then somewhere along the line, you joined the Special Operations Association. Uh, yes, I joined that. My number, I think, is about 165 or something like that. You're real early. Yeah. Indeed. They had just been, I think. What, probably 81? Does that sound about right, I think, John? Well, the, it was formed in 1976. Jim yeah. Butler and a couple of the other right. CCN guys, the recon right. guys, put together a special operations association. Yeah. And uh, one of the reasons why I mentioned it was that while you're doing everything else, you eventually uh, became the director for the special operations association riders who over several years did n- numerous fundraisers that raised the thousands of dollars for the SOA, which was directed towards the Bright Light Fund, which was yes. for helping veterans to come to the reunion, basically. Right. Because there were some of our guys that just couldn't afford it. So thanks to you, we were able to get them to come out. And in addition to that, um, if they had, if they needed care, they could pay for their care person, or the, whether it's a wife or a nurse. Right. Because there were mm-hmm. some key people that came who Otherwise, wouldn't have been able to, but thanks to the riders. So you did that for a bunch of years. So talk just that's a little bit of a fun sidelight, but it's interesting. <laughs> you know, you formed them up, and then you, each year you had one or two fundraisers every year, as I recall, right? Uh, we did that, uh, and we would bribe once a year together. Our first bribe was back to the wall. Right. Uh, we placed a reef back there, and we'd have a short memorial. And then different states start asking us to come to different towns. Oh, is that right? Got word to us. I forgot so that part of that's it. That's the way it started. I just thought you all just called and said, hey, we want to come do a thing. And he goes, man, I didn't realize the states called you up yeah. too. So all us, uh, well, it actually wasn't states. It was individual organizations sure. that had heard about us. Right. And uh, in fact, uh, we went to Branson. Uh, Bill set that one up for us, Bill right. Brother. Yeah. And, uh, the guy where we had the memorial, we used to read off the names of the guys that got killed, and uh, wow. everybody would give a flower. Uh, John, I believe you made the one when it was in California, and I indeed very touching ceremony. It. And uh, so we had the same ceremony all the time. You know, was we would 
always honor those guys that got killed on the 23rd of August. Absolutely. To me, that was so important. Sure. Still today is. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we had the 20th anniversary, the 50th anniversary of um, August 23rd, 68, which they had a reunion. We attended that, and there we paid homage to those men. Yes. And for the first time, we met family members of those who were killed in action that night. Yes. And it was quite a moving ceremony, a breakfast, and then they stayed for the whole reunion. And just talking to some of the family members was such an incredible experience, but you were a key part of all that. Yeah, I I believe that Bonnie Cooper was uh, kind of our... She's the go-to person. lady. Yes. She was. And she, I believe She's a there secret was, resource for the SOA. And I'm pretty sure there was 69 kin, family kin, that got to go to that. Yes. Uh, grandkids, uh, kids, and stuff like that. That's right. Wonderful. Uh, if I may bring this up. Please about bring it up. Uh, That's why we're here. Um, me and Susan, my wife, was sitting at the table. And uh, this guy come up behind me, you know, and tapped me on the shoulder and and he says, Larry, and I turned around and I stood up, and him and his wife uh, was standing there. He says, you remember me? And I says, no, I don't remember you. <laughs> and uh, he says, when we went through training group together. And training he, group together? Right. He said, you was a staff sergeant then. And he says, there were three or four of us that kind of tied in with you because we figured if you made it, well, we could make it then, you know. Because <laughs> it was rough back then, I, I thought, oh, yeah. anyway. And uh so we talked a few minutes, and he had went to Vietnam uh, right after we got out of training group, and then he went to work for the FBI as a uh, criminal investigator. And uh, I said, oh, that's great. I said, what are you doing now? And he said, well, he says, I retired, but they called me up and asked me if I could come back. And uh, as he left, uh, we shook hands. Uh, uh, the wives talked for a minute, you know. Sure, and, sure. And uh, he gave me one of his coins, you know, uh, challenge coins. I thought that it has his number on it, but didn't have his name. And damn, to this day, I can't remember <laughs> what it was. But well, anyway, I, I didn't mean to get off on that. I just, well, that's no, pretty you cool know. because even there, you had like a, because of your experience and time, time in the Army, there were men that turned to you. You didn't even realize it, but they were following your footsteps <laughs> right. to get to the training group, which, which then was... Very rigorous. He remembered my name, and his wife said, but you're almost every night talking at the dinner table. <laughs> As a joke, I think, of oh, course. Yeah. Absolutely. And through the SOA, we have, we go back to our time at CCN, FOB4, because at the end of 68, FOB4 became CCN. They consolidated the six FOBs. So CCN was for North. CCC was Contoon, uh, Central, and South was the third. And you had some pretty good uh, mem- memorable experiences there, too, with um, some of the men that were there and as well as some of the men that we lost along yeah. the way. And people just forget that secret war, the casualty right. rate, was formidable. And, of course, in March of 69, one name that comes to mind is Ricardo Davis. Oh, Ricardo, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like you and Ricardo, in my mind, I didn't realize how old you guys were. So I get to CCN, <laughs> I see Ricardo. I always assumed he was an E3 or an E4, just a common guy. So one day we had a formation. He's wearing, he's wearing E7 stripes, and you had E6 stripes. So I'm going, yeah. you know, you had to earn those things by time and grade. Mm-hmm. So you two were uh, people I looked up to instantly, realizing that you'd been in that long. Yeah. And I was just 
I just had been promoted to a buck sergeant. And, of course, I entered the country. Unlike you, who entered the country as a sergeant or a staff sergeant, I came in as a knee deuce. So uh, I was a little bit not as uh, powerful as you, but Ricardo, some of the other people there. um, Did you say that you also had that experience where somebody got a picture of you with Martha Ray? You could talk about Martha a little bit, too, as one of Uh, our saints. Right. I, uh, I do. Have a picture, and <laughs> you didn't I even realize it. Right? I did not realize whoever <laughs> gave that picture, but uh, my youngest boy, he uh, Bradley, he was teaching uh, uh, these kids at uh, this school, and the school was for uh, kids that was having a hard time, you know, in life, and was their last chance before Jehovah I think. And anyway, Brad was riding wearing one of our riding shirts, and uh, the kid says, "Oh, you was in the war." What war was that, you know? And, of course, Brad told him and said, well, that's not me. That's, my father was uh, in the war. And they said, well, what's his name? And he said, Larry Trimble. Well, the kids come back to school the next day. They had gotten on the Internet and found a picture of me. Wow. And Martha Ray. When right. I, I give her uh, one of our windbreakers that we used to have. Sure. And the 101 break, windbreaker, black one zero. You right. pull over the top. Yeah. Some had snaps with the hood. Right. Also yeah. a K-bar. Oh, is that right? Yes. Uh, you know, I got a whole box of them K-bars because I told you about that <laughs> knife it broke into. Uh, it's yeah, that's kind of a- like the one Tom had made for you right. that we got from the train. Well, that when they threw that uh, my load-bearing equipment down to me up there on Marble Mountain, yeah. that knife went ploop. No. Well. Uh, Was it made in China? I think so. <laughs> Anyway, uh, there was one of the CBs over there, you know, and so yeah. I made a deal with him for a couple of bottles of booze, you know, for of a case of K-bars. You didn't trade him one of those Viet Cong flags that our people thought <laughs> up with no. ketchup and gave it to him? No. <laughs> <laughs> then was some pretty good fun days, too. Oh, yeah. You know, we had our time, sir. So what so, was the event? Do you remember what the event was when you were with Martha Ray? You might explain a little bit. Uh, Martha Ray, by the way, was an actress who became an honorary Green Beret from dozens of tours of coming to in-country, working with special forces, entertaining. But sometimes she'd be in base, but he came under fire, and she was a, qu- a qualified nurse. And she right. would help out the medics doing some of the triage and, and treating some of the people, and be, thus became earned her honorary Green Beret, which there are not many women that have one. That's true. Uh, she was... Uh... Colonel Martha Ray. Yes, indeed. That's what he gave. He gave it her rank, and she, I guess she had yeah. been in the reserves or something, so she had she some had, legitimate army yeah. rank. Right. It's yeah. just Colonel, like yeah. Colonel. And, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, we used to talk all the time. You know, her drink was vodka and water. Vodka and water. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And uh, She's she used to come all the time up there, and she started bringing this lady with her, uh, Frenchie. Right. And. Uh, Frenchie uh, started working for the underground. Uh, her boy and also her husband in Germany during World War II yeah. was killed by the Nazis. Right. She went into the underground and started working for the uh, English, you know, of jumping in and getting people out, you know. Right. And uh, that was kind of her history, but I guess the Gestapo was waiting on them on a drop zone one time. Uh, word got out uh, she was put in a concentration camp and uh, when the Americans liberated her was she 
fell in love with America, you know. Yeah. And uh, so she came in and, you know, she got, uh, her and Martha Way met some way. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, John, she used to come, Frenchie come up to the, with Martha Ray up to the SOG conventions. Well, yeah, those were yeah. the days before I began attending a lot of the conventions. Yeah. Like, she came to CCN at least two or three times during my tour of duty. Each time I was either at the launch site or in a Target. Yeah. And I never, and I, you know, <laughs> you and Ricardo Davis and the other guys all had your photo ops. Right. And uh, she was just an amazing lady. She just loved Special Forces. She would. And, you know, everybody always say Maggie's drawers, you know. Which yeah. Every time she'd come in, she'd bring a little bikini, you know, <laughs> and then pin it up behind the bar, you know. Yeah, is that right? I remember them days. Yeah, uh, yeah, Absolutely. And of course, you know, she she really uh, got to know Ricardo Davis. And really when well. we lost Ricardo in March yeah. of 69, uh, yeah. she came back. She was there for the service, I'm told, because again, I was up at Quang Tree yeah. and she just wept. Yeah. You know, she really, really missed it because he's such a character. Yeah, she was, she's a, a one of a kind woman. Oh, yeah. Know? And she loved the Space Forces, and I believe she is buried at Fort Bragg. Correct. Yes. Yes, with high honors. High honors, because there ain't <laughs> many women buried there. <laughs> um, well, we're we've gone through anything else. Going back on looking at that fateful night of August twenty third, nineteen sixty eight, that perhaps you'd want to get covered or just to reflect on or things. Because sometimes when you and I get talking, like the first interviews I ever did with you for an article for Soldier of Fortune, it was different than the one I interviewed for On the Ground because you remembered more. <laughs> and then after that, there's been a subsequent follow-up for the Sentinel, which is the uh, SFA Chapter 78 newsletter. And again, yeah. every time I interview you, there's surprises. So for book four, we're going to put all your surprises together and redo the, uh, <laughs> that attack there we that go. night. But, so if you got anything else, Larry, fess up right now, buddy. Uh, well, that, you're going to have to catch me wind. <laughs> 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 have to come to ready ambush you at night huh yeah After that, I, that uh, second beer you know i at one time said that i'd never feel what the hell i did you know right, over right. there yeah. um but i did when you talked me into it and i think that was up at uh, jim lamont's house that's right and we me you me you and bill, bill was there bill with it was there was there but who was the guy that wrote the book on common valor oh uh, bucket well, Bucket. Remember Bucket? He sat with us and had a drink. Oh. And no. we, there was four of us sat there. there's two and, on Common Valors. One was by Stephen Moore. Okay, this uh, and Bucket. He's, he's a friend, he was a cousin yeah. or a nephew of George Hunt who ran recon out of CCC. Yeah. And uh, he focused on CCC missions. Okay, this is uh, somewhat different. He, Not Jack Singlob. He, Jack Singlob yeah. was there. General. He who, was there also. Yes, and his lovely Because we got all the Joe. books we could carry. Indeed. You know, back. <laughs> I, uh, in fact, I left out of Colorado. Me and Sue was going to go up to, right. uh, uh, what is that bike up to ride? The IP. No, we was going up. We was, what is that? Well, Every year, Colorado? Sturgis. We was going to go to Sturgis. Oh, okay, sure. So uh, we stopped by to see her sister in Colorado. Well, Jim Lamont called me up and asked me if I'd come up. You know, yeah. there's going to be a few people up there. That's how I got to win. Uh, General Simlob went and, uh, well, every, all of them said, take all the books you can take. Oh, no kidding. Uh, well, Bucket had, uh, he did all of that exposing 
uh, people that wasn't uh, oh remember right yeah um can't think of stolen his first valor stolen valor okay right. that's I'll, it i'll think of the Not name uncommon. of the author in a second i haven't talked to him in years but he yeah. was there right and then yes. we had baby son baby son did come was in there. yeah yeah because i said no yeah no no he got killed <laughs> it's jug burkett <laughs> jug burkett was the author of stolen valor right co-authored it and it's the most astounding book and that detailed uh Stolen Valor from so many people that rip off the VA right. and other vet people that wannabes that pretend to be veterans, including some really big name actors. Right. Yeah, just scumbags. His, his book is a good book. Fabulous book. And he and was there. Uh, I forgot about Joe. Right. Yes. And Because I, I asked him, where'd you get that name Bucket? He said, my dad and mom called me it's that ever. I said, they called him Bucket, though. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that part. Oh, yeah. We was having a good time up there. Oh, yeah. And uh, a great time. Well, yeah. And one of the reasons we had that, that meeting was, was called together was because at that point in time, it was six years after we had the uh, CCN, the Communist News Network, and uh, Warner Brothers did the erroneous uh, lies uh, story about Operation Tailwind. And so Operation Tailwind was one of the most successful SOG missions from September 11 to 14, 1970, where we had 16 Green Berets, 120 in digs that went in to relieve the CIA. And uh, uh, out of that mission of the 16 Green Berets, there were 32 Purple Hearts issued. And then on October 23rd, 2017, Gary Mike Rose received the Medal of Honor. Right. Because he was the sole medic on that. And the reason we had the meeting in 2004 was a follow-up because they did not offer corrections and they had a, a limited apology and limited corrections. And they were discussing with Jim Moriarty, who was a complete stud for us. He was a Jim Moriarty, for anybody who hasn't had the pleasure of meeting that uh, young Marine to this day, he's just got that full of Marine spirit, but he was a door gunner. For three tours of duty with the Marines, several, two or three of which they were attached to SOG. Right, right. Because Scarface and other Marine units were attached to us throughout the eight-year secret war. And so Jim got to know us. And when this happened, Jim jumped in and did pro bono work supporting our guys, suing CNN and uh, Warner Brothers. And at 2004, they were preparing a major litigation. And then they went forward with that, and they were talking about possible movies and things like that, all of which disappeared once some of the court settlements happened. And they were all top secret. So anybody who got money or might have got money, it was all without anybody saying I did anything wrong. But we'll just <laughs> right. give them a large chunk of funds here. But Jim Moriarty was a, a stud on that. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, just a side note on Jim, his boy Jimmy entered the Special Forces, uh, became a proud member of the 5th Special Forces Group, and tragically was one of three Green Berets killed in Jordan in November of 2016. And uh, just last month, I believe, or March, Jimmy was posthumously awarded the Silver Star. Cool. Absolutely. Great. And that was Jim's only son. And uh, so a little sidebar on a sidebar there, but... uh, no, he's always been there for the SF people. Yeah. And he's also recently worked behind the scenes to help Paris Davis, who was an officer, get his Medal of Honor. 
And when he was in Vietnam, amongst other people, he saved was Billy Wall. Yeah. And during that combat, he earned and was put in for the Medal of Honor twice, and twice the Army, quote, quote, lost the paperwork. Oh, yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and there, Jim Moriarty, once again, with uh, a couple of other key volunteers, um, and uh, Neil Thorne, who's a National Guardman, who's helped the Special Operations right. Association mm-hmm. over the last 12 to 15 years, help people get awards that they were rightly earned but the command elements were just too busy to take care of that right but (laughs) that's another sidebar so anything else sir upon reflections here any final words of wisdom or uh certainly no no regrets but uh or anything well let's close out here before we close okay just one thing please if I can remember anything else before I buy the farm, John. I promise you, before you do your book, I'll let you know. Oh, that's good. <laughs> and I well, just want I just want to thank you for uh, uh, being here today and try to open the door up to the American people of, uh, you know, the SOG, which we do have classified operations today still. Indeed, there are and, there uh, are still spec ops going on, and we have special forces teams around the world, and we can't talk about yeah. it because it's top secret. But it's not like. The key thing that people forget about special forces, we work with people to help them better their lives. Airborne. And the SF motto is De Oppresso Liber, to free the oppressed, and we live by that motto. We do. So at this point in time, I want to say all of this, SOGCAST 5, we owe a big thank you to Jocko Willink and his right-hand man, Echo Charles. And uh, without that sponsorship and their outstanding drinks, like their Go Energy Drinks, uh, we thank them. And as we close out, we also want to thank all of our service members today who are out there defending our country one way or another, whether it's the Army, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard, Marine Corps. Yes, indeed. And now we have the Space Force out there. And then we have to add all of our first responders. And particularly during the last year, the first responders and anybody that's out in the field helping our people that are sick, we uh, just salute all of you. With that, we close for today. Thank you for joining us, Larry. It was an honor to have you here with us. Until next time. So welcome to the, to the post-show interview here. I'm joined by our, our current mystery man, Tom the Technician, who is, uh, serves us quite well. We thank him for his replicating services like echo serves jocko we have tom the mystery man that works for us here at SOGCAST. and so tom you've been here for the first four SOGCAST, to be part of our history here what about number episode five with sergeant trimble is that a man or a man that definitely a man oh my god i mean you're up on a mountain by yourself yeah you're you're, you're indigenous just decide I'll hey now i'm done <laughs> What do you mean you're done? We're we're not done. We got a mission to complete. You know, but uh, I can relate to some of that. Like, oh, we're done. No, you're you're no no. There's work to do. (laughs) You can't just leave. No, we can. No, (laughs) but uh, in that predicament, I mean, you have nowhere to go. Like you're up on top. People are below you, throwing hand grenades at you. And a white phosphorus hand grenade at that. And then they had mortared the camp on top of that. They're mortaring the people below you. And you, I mean, the. it's got to be a feeling of 
we need to take care of this, but I'm helpless. I'm watching these guys on the ground. I'm watching these guys in that camp. I'm seeing the chaos. I'm seeing it. And I can't do anything. Oh, not to mention, while that's going on, I'm getting attacked. Yeah. So I'm watching this. I'm getting attacked. And then I'm out of water. And there's no warning. There's no intel no. reports to say attack imminent. Oh. That they well, there was, but nobody let anybody know <laughs> that there was an attack imminent. <laughs> yeah, the, the base commander and his uh, his, his other major buddy just said, "Oh no, we got it under control." The village is not; they're not hostile. Not at all. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to go. It would. I think it would be kind of really interesting to go to Marble Mountain and see people have done it and see what it looks like. People have done that. Spider yeah. Parks has been back. Dan Thompson, who was on Rhode Island later, both of them have been back. And uh, Doug Gottschall, who's now president of the Special Operations Association, I believe went back at a separate occasion. And Dan and Spider, I forget if Doug had been on this, but they at separate times met the the Buddhist monks, and he went down. They had a whole... I, 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 I don't want to say a religious service, but yeah. it was very spirit a spiritual service where they acknowledged all those who were killed on both sides of the battle. Yeah. And when Spider was there, Robert J. Spider Parks, who was the one zero of my team, later flew Covey mm-hmm. and on the night of that attack, he came into FOB four on the night of the twenty second, took Pat Watkins um what was it? He took a nine millimeter uh submachine gun with him to go downtown to the safe house yeah and he missed the battle but came back in the morning and oversaw it with the damage and the and the what had gone on then he did some help with the cleanup and whatnot yeah because your book really outlines you know on the ground when you read that and you you take in the guys that were there like you take in the stories of the guys you know, sleeping in in their in their racks, and then all of a sudden getting woken up, and then walking down the hall. I could still I could still picture, like literally visualize that. But it's like you did a great job, like telling that story from the ground, and then listening to this, and listening to oh another God. another vi- you know what is it another another aspect. Uh, another aspect of it, plus another aspect of stuff that was missed in the books because yeah. it changes. So it's it, it was interesting to. You know, you read the book, you get that kind of sense of what it was like, but then you listen to this and you listen to Larry talk about what it was like up there, and it's it's a different it's it changes everything because you it can does. you you now you get that personal relation uh, relationship to what it was like, and it wasn't just you know oh we were up on top of this mountain like I didn't realize how much they went up here, then they had to climb the ropes and then they had to get this you know and. I don't know if I'd felt comfortable doing what you guys did. Like going up on top and you have tunnels <laughs> below you. Oh, yeah. And you don't know what's in them. I mean, I, I don't know how it. deep they went into recon those, but I'm, I'm guessing you didn't go real deep. But at well, the same point, what do you know? Who are the monks hiding? Like you guys said, the monks, were they for you or were they against you? Well, were they deep down inside, you knew they probably weren't. Exactly. But you just couldn't come out and say that. But then you sit there and you look at those tunnels and it's like, you can hide anything in there. I mean, there yeah. could have been a battalion in there. You well, don't know how like deep it Larry is. Larry had big mentioned he mentioned the hatchet force that came yeah. back, and they couldn't. And get they up. got hammered. They t- they took casualties. I don't know if we had any KIAs, and um, 
I know one of the, I don't know if that was the effort where one of the a lieutenant actually went into a couple of the caves and he was KIA. Yeah. He had a hard time getting his body out. Was it the Hatch Force was 40? Could be uh, anything, 40. From, anything from uh, a platoon to a company. Yeah. And, and that's, so it may have been a platoon size operation. And uh, so on that occasion, and then a few days later, uh, they tried another effort. And again, people got, got yeah. wounded up there. What happened to the Marine? That was the one thing I didn't. Um, they, uh, we I assume they, got, they hit. got hit. We don't know. They shut them down because Larry never heard from. Yeah, the comm. The, 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 com, the, the comm never came back. Yeah. When he reached so out. We assume they so. took the radio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure on that. But, the, I mean, exceptional story. I mean, again, the courage and heroic acts that you guys did on a daily basis over there is. I mean, it's to me, it's just unfathomable. I That's can't, I can't, I can't, I just can't even think of it yeah. in today's, in today's realm of things. One, I can't see, I can't see any officer out there who's willing to sign up, say, we're <laughs> going to send this one guy with these eight indige up to the top of the mountain by himself or with another American, but then we're going to take that American and leave him there by himself. The risk that it takes, you know, that, that it, you guys took a huge amount of risks in everything you did, and it shows a lot of just that internal thing that you wonder where that is today. Right. Because it's very well, few. You, they just had that movie that came out. Well, just, I, Anna and I just saw it for the first time, but where they put that, like a small company mm-hmm. into the valley, and they, and they kept getting warnings, you're going to get attacked, you're going to get attacked. Yeah. Nobody believed that outpost. they got attacked. That was Outpost, yeah. Yeah, Outpost. Yeah. I mean, that so was... So that's a, that's a similar, like a modern-day version of... 100%. Yeah. Of that. I of mean, August 23rd. And that, what, what a horrible, you know, place like to put would, a base. And who would put them in, in the valley like that? Without anything above. Yes, like you, no at least you had a mountain, but you put someone up on it. Yeah, they, they didn't. They didn't even put output. They, you know, they had no OPs. <laughs> you know, very little anything up there. And it's that's right. Outpost. That's they right. had yeah two Medal of Honors, <sighs> two Medal of Honors in that. Yeah. So I mean, they did a good job. The that whole film, they did a great job on that film. I mean, I'll, I'll give it to them on that because they included some of the guys for that. Oh yeah. You know, and hope hopefully, hopefully we get to see some movies on this stuff. No, uh, we can't depend on Hollywood, but no. we can depend on Jocko. Yes, he's we, getting our stories out, and uh, and by the time this is aired by Jocko, there will be a Sog uh, Prairie Fire video game that will go on market May the sixth. May sixth, which just happens to be my daughter's birthday, so I I can't I can't forget the date, and it'll Two be days. on sale, and uh, try one. They be in the fifth and all, Sergeant. It is. <laughs> My bad. Sorry, I'm old. Anyways, that'll be out there, and we continue to march forward. So anything else that we want to add in our analysis here, Tom, the technician? No, uh, besides a little wire loose, but, you know, we'll figure that out. Um, oh, yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it went well. It, that was an amazing story. It's great to see that. I can't wait for the next one. Cause We're pushing. I'm, I'm already, you know, I'm just going to put a bed here pretty soon just so I can keep keep Very up good. on all this. But yeah, uh, it was phenomenal. It was great to meet Larry. It's great to great to hear his story and, you know, and see what you guys did. 
Yeah, amazing man. And like mm. I said, he and Ricardo Davis, I was always amazed when I learned how old they were because I just thought they were they were young, hard charges like the rest of us. But they, they were both uh, senior senior time and grade, you know. They were old, hard chargers. They, they, Don't knock the age. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> well, on that, we will close our post-interview analysis. Again, we thank Jocko and his Jocko Productions for... Uh, giving us the sawcast, and as always, we always close out thanking all of our service members who are putting their lives online, the first responders, and many other people around the world that are working to help make our country a better place. We'll sign off until next time. We'll see you on Sogcast Six in the very near future. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big